We're gonna cry macho in some natural light and we're gonna die at 20 on Mothering Sunday. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Vex Perfect and this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Offscreen. Let's keep things cinematic. I'm Bex Perfect and with me is the wonderful Van Connor and we are doing things properly from across the pond today because we are filming from both the US and the UK and I am very excited to be able to bring this this episode to you um, in full global fashion. So we're <laughs> going to kick off with a movie today which... Um, well, I think we've got to hop back a little bit to last week in a way. We did mm. watch The Marksman last week with uh, with um, Liam Neeson and you commented that it was kind of a Poundland Clint Eastwood film. Well, this week we have a Clint Eastwood film called Cry Macho and it is the story of a washed up uh, rodeo star, one time rodeo star, he's now a horse breeder and basically he crosses the border to Mexico to try and bring back a friend's son. And let's just say it's a road trip that isn't as simple as he'd originally hoped. Back when we had winners, I was afraid of losing you to the competition. Five times you won the All-American. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? That was before the accident, before the booze. You know how many people told me to just cut you loose? You gonna say anything? Howard. I've always thought of you as a small, weak, and gutless man. But you know, there's no reason to be rude. So, funny story about this one. This has a very strange place in my personal cinematic history in terms of the people I, I love to follow in films. This is the movie that mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger was working on when it came out 10 years ago that he'd knocked up the housekeeper and his marriage fell apart. This is what Schwarzenegger right. was doing at the time. They had to drop the movie. But before that, about 23 years before that, this was pitched to Clint Eastwood, who turned it down to go and make one of the, the Dirty Harry scenes. Sequels instead. I think it might have been the very last one, and he's now come back to it three decades later. And there's it, it, some sort of sort of personal fulfillment thing for Eastwood on this. He feels attached to the material. It began life as an attempted film script by uh, N. Richard Nash, who tried twice to pitch it didn't get anywhere, then turned it into a novel, and then somehow managed to sell the film rights to the novel to the same studios that turned him down for a film project to begin with. So this thing comes with all sorts of baggage attached to it. And then you get to the film, and you can't really see what the fuss was all about, because it's a, it's a bit basic. <laughs> like we said, we said last week that the Marksman was like a Poundland Clint Eastwood movie. This kind of feels like a B&M Liam Neeson movie. It's very, very strange. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. And it's kind of like, you know, it's a middle-of-the-road, three-star kind of film. And, mm. you know, after all of that, you know, after all of that kind of, you know, pain and, and suffering to get this to the big screen, God, I'd be crying macho <laughs> that as well. But the thing is, is that... You know, I immediately watched it and I said to you before we came on air, I said we should go mm. all in on this because the comparison between this and The Marksman is almost yeah. unparalleled. It's, it's it's ridiculous. And I was like, I've seen this movie before. In fact, I've seen it very, very clearly last week. This is the same movie. 
The weird, the weirder thing as well is I think the last time we saw Clint Eastwood on screen, and I hadn't, I didn't get to review it. I think I was away. I might have been in New York or something at the time. Um, was uh, the Mule, if you remember, in which again it was Clint yes. Eastwood as the nonagenarian crossing the border, dealing with, and you're thinking, okay, we've got a very specific remit going on with these uh, older dramatic action stars, but okay, it's nice to see Eastwood. St- still got it and all like you know hats off to him you know he's I think this is the first time he gets on horseback i think since unforgiven in 93 wow. um so you know there's like 20 odd years there he's still got that ability and it's nice to see you know him deliver the, that grizzle that no one else necessarily can but let's be honest for a second the crowd that's turning up for a clint eastwood movie in 2021 are not seeing this on theatrical like this is like no. get this on digital. They stand a chance. They are not turning up to a cinema during a pandemic. Not even at this stage. And they're really the only ones you can sell an Eastwood movie to. You get the odd ones like Gran Torino that have crossover appeal. This does not have that mainstream appeal of something like Gran Torino. The problem is as well, the script simply lacks heart. It doesn't have the feeling and it doesn't have the emotion. Despite the title, it won't make you cry and it's not especially macho because there is just none of that raw power and emotion behind it. it like you say, middle of the road, just fine, kind three of, stars. But, yeah, yeah, it just kind of plods along and that's the thing. Mm. And I couldn't help but, go, but going, oh my goodness, Clint Eastwood really is that old. I mean, all power to him, but he's looking old in this oh, yeah. movie and he plays... He plays an old guy really well, but don't get me wrong, but it's like, is that enough to pull you into the cinema? I'm totally with you. No, it yeah. isn't. So cry macho, but do it at home is what I would say. Wait for it to come out. <laughs> sub, sub privately. Sub privately yeah. and semi, semi-masculinely. How about nobody needs, to, nobody needs to see you crying macho anywhere else over this movie. So yeah. that's our first movie of today. And you know what? Why not kick off with a Clint Eastwood uh, movie? Because that's naturally, always a good naturally. way to start things off. What have we got coming up next? So, Natural Light, which is it's the Curzon movie of the week. You know I look forward to a good Curzon flick. Oh, yes. be- well, because you never know what they are. They're nearly always pretty good. And actually, one of the reasons I've paired uh, Crime Macho and, and Natural Light together in our sort of running order is there is something of a, of a through line with that lack of emotion. However, in the case of Natural Light, it's almost a strength. It's almost why it works. So, this is a Hungarian movie. Could not be more different from all-American Clint Eastwood, obviously. We forgot to mention, by the way, that that Clint Eastwood movie is set in 1979, which is about the biggest twist I could think on that one. This is the feature directorial debut of Denis Nagy, Hungarian filmmaker uh-huh. who has made, and I, I didn't really know this kind of story. It is a World War II story about the Hungarian military who were tasked with, I think it's between 1941 and 44, are tasked with patrolling Soviet-occupied territory and basically dispelling the local insurgents, who they know as partisans. And it's all shown through the eyes of one specific soldier. Now, this is based loosely, I think it's on a portion of a novel that is, and I'm going to have to forgive my pronunciation here, it is Termazetas Feini, I think is the name. And it's... okay. A dark, it's of all foreign language, so we've not got a clip, obviously, because we'd have a much broader audience if we could include those clips, I admit, but, you know, such is the magic of radio, we can't include subtitles and it would work terribly if it was dubbed. I don't do that, I've seen The Raid. (laughs) But uh, have you ever seen the dubbed version of The Raid? Absolute crime against cinema. But uh, Yeah, I wouldn't do that. 
This is a very bleak, drenched in greys and browns, very grisly, very wet, very, you feel the cold and the chill. It's one of those where the cinematographer must have had his work cut out of him, cut out for him, because 90% of this is shot through, you know, breathy exhales in cold air kind of a vibe. It is bleak Ooh. and somber. Bleak and broody. Yeah. There's no there's no light, there's no levity, there is no the humanity, strangely, is gone from it. This is about the harshness of service in the time of war. It's about giving you that angle and that perspective that you frankly just wouldn't see anywhere else. You'd watch it and you wouldn't be bored. But you would. It's one of those kind of like Spencer that you watch, you think, what what was the plot of this actually? Other than just right. to capture a feeling in a moment, there's nothing really. This is not a movie for plots. This is about, you know, the lack of humanity. This is about the lack of emotion. This is about the lack of. It's about just the absolute, you know, soul crushing depths to which people were forced to serve at that point. I dug it and I loved the style of it, the cinematography of it. I thought it was great. Like I say, 90% of it shot through, you know, cold, breathy exhales in the in the winter air. And it's one of those films that does make you just despair for what humanity must have been like a century ago, if you know what I mean. Do you think they're maybe over-egging the pudding? It all sounds very uninviting, should I say. Is it? Are they going overboard on this bleakness? I mean, to be honest, the fact that it is a Curzon film tells you that it's a, it's a Hungarian film being distributed by Curzon. You're like, okay, you know what? This is in mm. the exact right place this needs to be to find its audience. Like, the kind of yeah. crowd that are either going to watch this on that Curzon home play or are going to merrily pop down to Curzon Soho or the Curzon, Curzon Bank Street Sheffield kind of thing. You know, that the crowd that are going to go to the Art House mini multiplex are exactly the kind of crowd that I think will find what's there to be appreciated in this. And hats off to them. I think it's a very, very good film. And for a feature debut as well, astonishing. Like, if this is someone's first feature-length film, that is breathtaking. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, I- I'm intrigued by this. I'm not going to say I'm going to rush out to see it. It sounds too bleak for me. <laughs> but, you know, I think capturing that moment in time, mm. if you want to kind of know about the sentiment of that that particular period, then maybe this is one for you. I'm, I'm, I'm sure for all the reasons of it being a Curzon movie, it's not one that the masses are going to go and rush to. But, you know, if you're into that kind of stuff, this sounds like it might be something worth checking out. Don't watch it for a good time. Watch it for an effective time. Welcome back to Off Screen. We're keeping you cinematic and we've got more movies on the big screen coming up for you right now. Kicking off with Mothering Sunday. It's not that time of year. We've just got a movie coming out called that. Um, And it is a movie that I can only describe as being set in the 20s and featuring a lot of Josh O'Connor's bottom. Um, It is is a, a... and the rest of them, but mainly his bottom. But what we're seeing here is a movie about a maid who works for a very upper-class family uh, who the family house is run by Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman. She's in love with um, another upper-class family's son who is destined to be married uh, to another woman and is having his little bit on the side. Good morning, Beechwood House. Jane, is that you? Yes, madam. I shall be leaving here for this picnic. I'll be on my own, 11 o'clock, not the back path, Jay, front door. I'm terribly sorry, madam, but you have the wrong number. Hot. 
So I uh, I saw this with uh, Zara Phelan this past week. They sent me the screening link through, and Zara and I sat and watched this, and uh, so that we could both review it in one go. And well, I'm glad that I had a friend to watch this with because it was it was an ordeal. Um, first and foremost, you, you said about you know you see a lot of uh, Joshua Connor's bottom, and I said and the rest of him. And I do mean and the rest of him because there are prolonged sequences in this movie that are just literally Josh O'Connor and Odessa Young just stood around in their birthday suits just having conversations not particularly engaging conversations well acted conversations of course but not particularly interesting or engaging conversations good lord this is a slog this is one of the dullest movies I've seen in a year and you understand how they've gotten the talent roster on this because with it's it's one of those movies that with one name you know how they've gotten the next so you figure that they went to Colin Firth for instance and said okay we're going to adapt a Grain Swift novel this could be really artsy in a period piece do you want to come and do it and he said yes and then they went to Olivia Coleman and she said oh we're doing a Colin Firth period piece adaptation of a, a Graham Swift novel and she said oh of course yes and then they went to Odessa Young and Josh O'Connor and said we've got a movie with Colin Firth and Olivia Coleman in and it's a period piece adaptation of a Graham Swift novel and they said oh are you kidding? Oh my god, yes! And then, well, hmm, let's just say the film does in no way measure up to Deliver. what I would imagine the excitable appeal of that concept was good. I mean, it's just, oh, wow. Well, it is, you, no. you've described it, you have, you've described it as, as Josh O'Connor and Odessa Young just talking in their birthday suits and that is what this film is right so i i did this experiment after i watched it i did this experiment because i went in going oh it's downton abbey the movie again like that's what i was hoping it would be right and when i when i after i watched the movie i went back and i randomly skipped to different parts Mm. all the way through yeah and it was the same scene whether it was 10 minutes in 20 minutes in 30 minutes in, an hour in, it's the same room, it's the same conversation, and it's like on repeat. And it's kind of, that is what this movie is. It's just the same point labored again and again. It's like, we get it. He's not gonna leave his wife to be with the maid because that's not what happened in those times. Okay, you could have told us this in 15 minutes and we could have got the rest of that time back in our lives. It is an absolute slog. I'm with you. It looks gorgeous. I thought the costumes were amazing. Yeah. I thought, you know, I oh, I quite like a pair of those glasses. They look really cool and on trend. <laughs> but that was all I took away from it, really. Like, that was about it. And what a waste of such amazing talent. It's such a oh, slog. Yeah. Ugh, let, let's, let's just not even waste any more time on it. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I mean, I will say this when you when you just said that. Oh, I did an experiment. My immediate response is, what did you like order a pizza and wait around for it in your birthday suit? Like, how did you run an experiment on this movie? I'm glad it went. I'm glad Next it went the way it that. did. I'm glad it went the way it did. Some poor Papa John's driver just didn't have the night of his life as a result. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> and what we just said that's on I the promise, next movie experiment yeah that was more entertaining than anything you'll find in mothering sunday just saying that out loud oh, God. so I would, this is yeah. this is what i wouldn't even recommend this to like the grandparents i mean they're kind of selling this on oh it's 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 a it's a crown reunion between olivia coleman and josh o'connor you're like no no just go and watch those those episodes of the crown again just trust me but no. do you know what but but also, right, if he's supposed to be this, like, young, hot, studly, like, guy that we're, we're thinking she's desperate to be with, all I could mm. what, all I could see in this movie is Prince Charles, is him <laughs> playing Prince Charles. That's basically I, what he's I doing. Am... And I was like, it's nothing more off-putting. <laughs> 
I, I have my own issues with Josh O'Connor anyway. No matter what Josh O'Connor is in, I always... And first of all, whenever I say his name, I always think of the comedian Tom O'Connor as per the famous uh, Stuart Lee uh, stand-up piece. Shout-out to Chris Wilson, my boy there. Um, but Josh O'Connor, to me, just always seems like a performer who, no matter what he's appearing in, no matter what performance he's delivering, is permanently wearing the facial expression of someone who knows a fart has been let loose in the room and he doesn't know who to blame. <laughs> That's permanently his face in any, any given moment. And the fact that this is meant but like an erotic drama at points makes that incredibly difficult because you've got this guy just stood around swinging in the wind you know on full display wearing the face of someone who is wondering right okay who let it rip come on who was it stand up was yeah. it you? lighting man was and, it you and, and it's, it's very yeah. and note, note, note to everyone just because you're gonna get actors naked does not necessarily mean it's going to be erotic <laughs> it doesn't work like that there has to be no. chemistry not long pauses these pauses in here last longer than made in chelsea it's ridiculous there's so much yeah. that i think yeah there's just there's so much not going for this movie so avoid at all costs i think it is not go even going to be something that you'll want to give to your mother on mothering sunday let's put it that Ooh. way should we move oh, swiftly on i would no, you, you give your mother this on Mother in Sunday, you, you are sending a message and it ain't a positive one. Let's move on then to something a bit more upbeat. You will die at 20, which I promise I'm being <laughs> ironic. It's it's not at all. This is another feature film debut. This is uh, director Amjad Abu Alala is a uh, Dubai-based filmmaker who has made this. Uh, he's, he's Sudanese-born, but he's, he's himself based in the UAE now. It is set in the Sudan, and this became the first ever Sudanese submission for the Oscars, would you believe? Like, ever. They have wow. never submitted a movie to the Oscars before until this. And I can sort of see why, actually. It's quite, you know, this is a movie that you'd see, go, oh, yeah, well, we'll submit that. This seems like it'd garner a statue. It didn't, obviously. But uh, it stars, I'm trying to remember his name here, Mustafa Shahata as, and his name is Muzamil. Now, Muzamil, when he is born in a Sudanese village, his mother takes him as a baby to, you know, the local, I think it's a local sheikh, I think his name is. Um, you know, the, the local religious figure, local religious figurehead, who, and they, they try to predict the child's life through it, through the ceremony, and one of the uh, the chanting members of, of, the, uh, of the, the clergy, as it were, there, stopped counting at a specific point, which means that there is a prophecy that he will die at 20. And this then affects the next 20 years of his life. We jump forward to not long before he is 20. And he's not really getting to live his life. He's, this is all Sudanese, subtitled. He's living a life of disappointment and restraint because he, you know, as far as he's concerned, as far as his mother and his, his family are concerned, there is no point to him doing anything. He's just going to die at 20. His father has moved away because he can't deal with the heartbreak of this. And he befriends... A, a, a member of the village who has been away for a long time, seen the outside world and comes back, and who introduces him to the magic of cinema. And through this, he starts to discover there's actually more... To, it's worth noting, it's not like he came back. This is not like the story of Saudi Arabia where they got shown the Emoji movie and thought, oh, well, okay, it turns out you can do movies again. He gets shown the work of Youssef Shaheen. So it's a very specific kind of world cinema that he's he's getting okay. shown here. Really great movie movie in a surprise in, in a very Good. surprising way it's, it's just about this you know me i love a drama that's about 
the, the crass pointlessness of religion, the sheer pointlessness of religious, you know, idolatry, uh, idolatry and, and idealism, and, and I and the fact that it's cinema as well in there. I, I kind of found something of a, a, a an emotional thing to cling on to. I thought this was really great. I thought this was a film, like Fantastic. I say, you can absolutely see why you'd watch it. But yeah, you know what? We've never submitted a movie for the Oscars before. Let's maybe give it a shot with this one, eh? And you, you can absolutely understand it. I'm glad you've said that because I was getting a bit worried that this was all going downhill for going into the cinema this week. So it's quite a relief that we've you know got something we've got good. Ghostbusters it's a... next week. We're good. Okay, fine. Yeah. Oh, I'm really excited about that. I, 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 you know, I haven't caught the screening. I know you've already seen it. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. Um, yeah. Okay. So we've kind of got, if I could draw a graph for how these movies have gone this week, we've kind of gone like middle, slightly up, very down, and then back up again. And that's a good way to end. So listen, guys, do not panic. When we come back, we will bring you movies that you can rely on that are going to be on your telly box. So stay tuned. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van. What's going on? <laughs> hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. Oh, that I do. That I do. And you know what? The weekend's coming up. I'm thinking about maybe staying in, chilling out, staying cosy. What have you got for me? Is there something I can be doing? Well, do you know what? Funnily enough, our sponsors this week have got you covered. They've got well, actually a very fun way to spend. I'm actually holding up the game in front of you. I'm, I'm, we are talking, of course, about Marvel's Dice Throne. So Marvel's Dice Throne is, uh, in fact, you might have heard of Dice Throne. So there's Dice Throne's been around, you know, it's a, a fun sort of dice-based board game. You, you select a bunch of heroes. In this case, this is a new Marvel edition. So you pick from, you traditionally pick from any of like eight characters. In this case, you can pick from any of eight Marvel characters to face off with other players on this game. You play against one another and you basically see who gets the right to uh, to take the throne. So normally it's an cool. old school throne. Now it is a special Marvel throne. And the way this works is you, you strategically roll your dice to earn different abilities and to earn different hero cards. And if you get different hero cards, you can get different power levels and upgrade your, your, your character and your hero. And Believe it or not, I hadn't encountered the game prior to now, and uh, I have been I have been introduced to the wonderful world of, of Dice Throne, and uh, I'm forever terrified that I'm, I'm now going to lose a significant chunk of my uh, of, of my years of my prime to this game. So I'd like to thank our sponsors for that, and you can thank them yourself in the meanwhile by actually pre-ordering the Marvel Dice Throne game on Kickstarter, and you can find that by going to kickstarter.com. The full link is in, the, is in the description for this episode, and that's Marvel Dice Throne, to which I will now be losing way more of my life. Thanks, guys. Welcome back to Offscreen, and I did promise you some top movies on your telly box, so do not worry, stick with us. We've got seven days' worth of great movies for you to catch at your leisure. But we're going to kick off with your Saturday night, because who doesn't want to watch a great movie on a Saturday night? And, well, Van has already off-air been telling me how great this one is, and that he absolutely had to swap out one of my picks for his. And the hit, let, well, just, just tell him why. <laughs> Okay, first of all, this is the 25th anniversary of this film. It was the very first time in a, in a very fan, you know, fan-centric franchise that they attempted to lure in audiences from the outside. And it did a pretty good job. And it set an unrealistic expectation that this brand is still dealing with the fallout from today. It is Star Trek First Contact from 1996. If you don't know this one, this is the first ever 
solo adventure on the big screen for the Next Generation crew. They had done Star Trek Generations, where they had had some members of the original crew and they destroyed the Enterprise and Picard and all that. This time around, it's Picard, the Next Generation crew, they've got a brand new Enterprise, and they're going up against the big bad guy of the series, the Borg, who they finally have the big feature film budget to actually do something scary with. So what you get is effectively Aliens. The movie Aliens, set in the Star Trek universe, but with all the mechanics of Back to the Future at the same time. So the idea is, the bad guy aliens go back in time into our future, but Star Trek's past, to the year of 2063, mm -hmm. when the first ever warp flight takes place. Funny story, this at one point was meant to involve Tom Hanks as Zephram Cochran, the inventor what? of Warp Drive. He turned it down for scheduling reasons because he wanted to go and direct That Thing You Do, also for Paramount. Instead, they got James Cromwell, who had recently been Oscar-nominated for Babe the Gallant Pig, to fill in. And you're going to hear him in our clip. He's fantastic. He's a big part of the mythology now. So you wind up with two stories. You have Commander Riker, Geordie LaForge, and Councillor Troy, and all the engineers on planet Earth in 2063, trying to repair humanity's first ever warp rocket for reasons that I will explain in the clip. And on the other side, you have Picard and Data and Worf and Dr. Krush and all the rest of them up on the ship with rifles, sleeves rolled up, sweaty brows, going toe to toe with these almost HR Giga-like space zombies. It is one of the pivotal moments in human history, Doctor. You get to make first contact with an alien race. And after you do, everything begins to change. Your theories on warp drive allow fleets of starships to be built and mankind to start exploring the galaxy. It unites humanity in a way that no one ever thought possible when they realize they're not alone in the universe. Poverty, disease, war, they'll all be gone within the next 50 years. But unless you make that warp flight tomorrow morning, before 11.15, none of it will happen. And you people, you're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Oh, I wish I was as geeky as you and into Star Trek because I can see <laughs> no, just that's how why excited you your little it. face is. That's why you should watch <laughs> okay. it though because it's really good for that. Fine, maybe. Uh, that's on film for 2.35pm on Saturday. I'm not, uh, you know what, maybe I'll watch it just to see if Van's right. Maybe I won't, just out of spite. Who knows? Anyway, let's move swiftly on to something m far more up my straza which is, ah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it is one of my... Well, well actually, I'm going to say this. Whilst a lot of people slightly older than me and Van mm. were watching The Princess Bride, <laughs> I was watching this movie. And this movie, I will continue to watch this because I love it dearly. It's the never-ending story on BBC One at 2.35pm on Sunday. I mean, this is cinematic genius, people. Do not miss this movie. It's incredible. And it still holds up. It looks amazing with all the practical effects. Don't you agree? I do. It's one of those seminal movies of growing up in the late 80s, I think, the never-ending story. Because obviously, I think it comes it's come out like 84, but by the time it hits VHS mm. and things like that you know it's, it's you know like 88 89 kind of thing. um might be 86 i'm not sure uh but the whole thing is it takes its place in that panther you mentioned the princess bride there's also things like labyrinth crystal skull things like that these yeah. you, know, you could package yes. these movies together they are sort of seminal works to millennials of a very specific age so i think you and i are kind of easy pickings that also our next film kind of ties into that to an extent as well mm. that has the john carter oh. kurt russell thing going for it go on bex this, 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 this movie as well. So both of these movies, I will watch quite happily 
on repeat all the time. They're brilliant. So the next one is Big Trouble in Little China, which is on Monday on the Paramount channel at 9 p.m. This is Kim Cattrall, you know, Kurt Russell, as you mentioned. This is bonkers in New York, like Little China thing. It's It's got, you know, like ninjas coming in with like lightning powers. It's got, you know, like a woman who has green eyes, who is obviously seen as like the one that they need to sacrifice. And you've got this weird bearded Chinese man who is, it's all about mythology and stuff, but it's got Kurt Russell. So it's bonkers and it's absolutely brilliant. And I cannot wait to watch this again. It's actually for me, a perfect Monday movie as his never ending story, like 2.35 PM from never ending story get the kids involved like show them what real kids movies were actually like before animation like oh, took yeah. off in the way that like pixar and stuff did like this is like practical effects at its finest and then big trouble in little china this is the teen in you that's kind of going i want to watch this movie because it's kind of it's kind of cool and it's kind of hot at the same time but i'm probably not old enough to watch this this is kind of like your stranger things kind of generation mm. um, sorry the original kind of stranger things generation that finds that nostalgic will be watching this movie and loving it for that so two great movies back to back on sunday and monday for you now ugh, tuesday van I, I can only assume by the title of this you've chosen another horror and it's, it's oh, every no. week you choose a horror to scare me is it not no no oh no okay so itv4 tuesday night 10 p.m sudden death this was jean-claude van damme's follow-up to time cop this was him attempting oh, to capitalize on this this was die hard in a hockey arena and he's the fireman who happens to be there with his kids and it is spectacularly awful but it's awful in a way that only Jean-Claude Van Damme could have pulled off in early 1996. Let me let me give you a snippet of what we're dealing with here. This is this is him doing the uh, the calling in the cops and having to deal with it himself moment. Have you had any contact with the aggressors? I killed two. Is that contact? Look, one of them told me they're going to bring this whole building down. What are you guys going to do about it? We're still evaluating the situation. There's no situation. They want money, a lot of it. Give it to them. If you f around and something happens to my kid, we're considering every possible response. If you're not going to pay, say so. I'll get my daughter. Do not try any kind of rescue. Do you understand me? You would jeopardize the lives of the vice president and everyone else in the arena. Believe me, we know what the hell we're doing. Our agents are entering the arena. You stay where you are. We are going to do this by the numbers. Of course there's an explosion. Of course there is. How could there not be? Exactly. And, and, and to be honest, it's such a... Well, for me, that, that clip... Just by hearing it, I mean, I'm sorry I called it a horror. Um, by that clip, yeah, that sounds like every 90s movie's at, uh, oh, yeah, mixed totally. into one, which is fantastic, yeah. And actually, speaking of 90s movies, did you say that was 1996? Uh, I think that was very early 90s, like February maybe, 96, yeah. At least in the Okay, UK. then let's move back... Let's move back one year to 1995 for our next pick Whoa. because the net, the net is on oh, yeah. uh, is on telly on uh, yeah, <laughs> on um, Wednesday and that's on at Great Movies at 6:45 p.m. Now this is Sandra Bullock, um, who is like a computer programmer who basically. Uh, uncovers a conspiracy uh, theory that comes out and it puts her and the lives of everyone around her into danger. This is kind of like on a modern day thing. What is that one with Kira Knightley, the the espionage one that she was in recently where she is a whistleblower? Oh God, you're testing me now. I can't remember the time. It was based on the true story, wasn't lies, it? It was really good it? too. Yeah, but this is kind of a similar sort of premise in that way. But mm. it's kind of like this is your 90s version of that. And of course, Sandra Bullock is brilliant as ever. We've got, um, who else is in it? Jeremy Northam's in it as well. And a few others that I think, you know, you it's it stuck with you. And I think, again, from that kind of late teen 
vibe for us, you know, growing up in the 90s and stuff. Like, this is kind of the thing that we'd watch and go, that was a cool movie. That's something that we oh, really yeah. enjoyed well, this came out. This came yeah. out during a very brief love affair period that Hollywood had in at the end of 95, early 96, with um, s- sort of cyber thrillers. There was this, Hackers, yeah. Little No Man 2, Beyond Cyberspace. Uh, Hackers, funnily enough, is the Honest trailer this week. I, I thoroughly recommend that. But uh, this was this uh, this has its fans. It's dorky, but it works. Oh, I like it. I really like it. I haven't watched it in years, but I think it's worth a revisit because, yeah, you're right. It is dorky, but it works. But it was dorky and cool because it was the 90s. Let's put it that way. Uh, let's move on very swiftly then to um, another great movie from that era. Uh, Thursday, ITV4, 10.30pm fan. This one's for you. Another 90s one. This one also starring Sandra Bullock, this time as Officer Nina Huxley, I believe. And this is like one of my favourite actioners of the uh, of the early 90s from 1993. I believe it's one of the only films directed by Marco Brambi. It might be his only one. Uh, Starts Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, height of their fame, respectively, as the tech and crim who get uh, put into cryogenic storage in 1996 and wake up in 2032 San Angeles, which has become a very sanitized, politically correct society with no violence or crime. And so when the ultimate criminal is then defrosted, they have to defrost the ultimate cop to stop him. It is, of course, Demolition Man, and you can see this on ITV4, 10.30 on Thursday night. I can't recommend it highly enough. It is awesome. I don't know if you guys know it, but you're, uh, you're out of toilet paper. Hey, did, did you say toilet paper? Oh, they used handfuls of wadded paper back in the 20s. <laughs> I'm happy that you're happy, but the place where you're supposed to have the toilet paper, you got this little shelf with three seashells on it. (laughs) He doesn't know how to use the three seashells. see how that could be confusing. <laughs> I do love Demolition, that man, and I'm going to definitely check it out again. So ITV4, 10.30pm on Thursday. Van, see us off with Friday. Film 4, 9 o'clock, A Vigilante is the movie that we're seeing our weekends off with. Do you remember this one? This is from about three years ago. It's uh, Olivia Wilde as the avenging angel figure. She escapes an abusive marriage herself and then becomes the uh, agent facilitator for other women in the same situation often becoming violent and murderous. Like, she goes through the ringer on this one. This is a hard movie. No, I haven't seen this. Oh, this is no, good. You want you want to see this. This is brutal and hard. And it sort of just fell under the radar. And Olivia Wilde, absolutely terrific in it. Um, written and directed by, I think it's uh, Sarah Dagar-Nixon, who, um, I'm trying to remember what the film was that she gave us, was it uh, The Light? In, it might have been The Light Between Oceans, I think it was. But really solid, pulse-pounding thriller. This one I really cannot recommend highly enough. And a nice sort of visceral, crunchy one for a Friday night as well. So you can see this on, on Film 4, 9pm on Friday night. It's not going to send you off, like, whooping and cheering, but you will feel like, oh, yeah. You will feel sort of, oh, righteous about it afterwards. I tell you, it's called A Vigilante, Olivia Wilde, on her own. Absolute reason to see it. Check this one out, Bex. Really, really good. Well, I do quite like a nice, crunchy movie, so thanks for that one, Van. (laughs) 
welcome back to Offscreen. So what we've got now for you, we've taken you to the cinema, we've kept you on your couch, and now we're going to keep you on the couch, but or wherever you want to watch your movies, actually, because we've got your DVD, your Blu-ray, and your streaming offerings for you as well. We've only got one in our bucket for DVD and Blu-ray this week, but, I, I, well, Van, I, I'm hoping you're going to tell me this one's a goodie. It's called Prisoners of the Ghost Land. What's the thoughts on this? Well, it's a Nicolas Cage movie, first and foremost, and this is one of his oh. even more bonkers than usual ones. So you know it's at least going to be, you know, so bad it's good. This is the one where he teams up with the Japanese filmmaker and poet Sion Sono, I believe, uh, and it also starred uh, Sophia Batella. We reviewed this about a month to six weeks ago. I think not one of his better ones, but uh, entertaining enough, as you'll hear here. It's all sorts of bonkers. Each arm is equipped with an explosive device. Your trousers are also equipped with explosives. <laughs> really? Just beyond the point where we now stand lies a highway where evil reigns. What is this? At the end of five days, if you have not returned with Benice, well, I think you get the idea, son. Godspeed. I mean, I always knew that if I if I don't recognise it or if I haven't seen it myself, it's probably going to be a Nicolas Cage movie that you've loved and are like probably desperate not. to put yeah. into our DVD and Blu-ray list. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Okay, so that's our offering on DVD and Blu-ray. And what we've actually got as well on streaming is a whole list of things that you guys can check out. And and the last one, I'm actually really really excited to watch on this. But um, let's kick off with well, actually, this is very timely, isn't it? The first one on our mm. list is uh, Love Actually. Uh, who doesn't love a little bit of Love Actually? Well, it's it's that time. It's like an annual tradition now, isn't it? What what when is when is Love Actually going to turn up on streaming? And this year, it's of course going to be Tuesday, the sixteenth of November. And you know that for a lot of people, that's kind of the time they like to put up their Christmas tree, sort of mid-November. Um, my ex-partner, for instance, would always, we would always have a tradition where we would actually have Love Actually on while we put the Christmas tree up. I then amended that to also include Elf. But uh, Love Actually is available on Netflix from this coming Tuesday. So if you've been waiting all year for your for your Richard Curtis Christmas romance fix. It's finally here, ladies and gentlemen, and also the same day, and it's a movie I adore. I think you were a fan at the time as well. It is the first oh, yeah. live-action offering for the Pokemon universe. It is 2018, 2019's Detective Pikachu with Ryan Reynolds and Justice Smith. Were you, this is out on the same day on Tuesday on Netflix. Were you a fan of this one, Beck? Yeah. I am. I mean, I think we went to the same screening for this and I actually was really pleasantly surprised by it. Mm. I mean, I mean, you know, I often think if Ryan Reynolds is going to be involved in it, we know the kind of humour that we're going to expect from it. But actually, I thought they did the kind of live action animation combination really, really well. Yeah. And actually a lot of it was, I think a lot of it was filmed in Canary Wharf in London or just in and around the city of London. And that was kind of their metropolis that they had there. And I think it looked amazing. Um, the story was, was compelling enough. I, I, I'm surprised there hasn't been a sequel of this at the moment. I thought it was really fun as a watch. I think even if you do like Pokemon, and even mm. if you don't, or if you don't know anything about Pokemon, it didn't really matter watching this. It was it was a really good, solid, like goes beyond kind of your standard three-star animation movies. Like, I'm not even going to say the Emoji movie because that doesn't count, but do you know what I mean? Like there's movies like Space Jam and stuff, that, or the Space Jam 2 that just isn't hitting the mark. Where movies like this that actually... I think they did well to an extent at the time, but actually should get a lot more accolade than what they what they did. I think Detective Pikachu was brilliant. 
I, I agree with you. Now, Detective Pichu, for me, leaned on two things quite heavily, which was Zootopia or Zootropolis, depending on that, mm. uh, and uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I think there is, because of the yes. international appeal of the Pokemon brand as well, there is an entire generation for whom this should arguably play like their personal Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, as far as I know, there is a yeah. franchise still to come out of this. There were other, other spin-offs and Pokemon ventures that were being banded around. Nothing's happened as yet, but I suppose the pandemic's going to have taken a, a toll out of that. But moving Also, on. with animation... Also with animation, though, you know, we've got to take a little bit more time. This isn't just you can mm. it's not just throwing a load of people together to, to act something out. There's a lot more that like, in terms of time, like I, I am being impatient with this and kind of saying I want another one now. But actually, it probably will take a few years to pull all these animations together. They're very complex in this. I think it's really good. I agree with you. Going on to one that did take years and years, though. Uh, two days later on Amazon Prime, this is on Thursday the 18th, we are getting Doctor Sleep, the long, long in development sequel to Stephen King's The Shining, brought to the screen by Mike Flanagan. Now, anyone who you know, is as dyed in the wool of the, of the horror community as most of the people I spend my social time around uh, will tell you Mike Flanagan is kind of the only man in the world that should ever be allowed near Stephen King movies not named Frank Darabont. And, uh, yeah, this is the sequel to, sequel to The Shining, starring Ewan McGregor as the now grown-up Danny Torrance, who meets a young girl who also shares his gift of The Shining, the psychic connection he has, mm. um, but it puts them in the crosshairs of a group of, <laughs> a group of murderers who are sort of psychic vampires who literally yeah. feed off of this energy force. You can hear me. Let's use our outside voices, all right? You tracked me down? It was easier than I thought. Like GPS, but in my head. Look, I don't mean any offense, but this day and age, a grown man sitting with a teenage girl on a park bench. I'm Aberstone, and if anyone asks, you're my uncle, Uncle Dan. And that's not even a lie, not totally. You're magic, like me. I don't know about magic. Do you know what? I uh, When this came out, it didn't really do the numbers that everyone was hoping because it's like the sequel to The Shining, da-da-da-da-da. But actually, it didn't really perform as we'd hoped. However, having said that, I really enjoyed this movie. I oh, thought yeah. Rebecca Ferguson as... Rebecca Ferguson as the leader of that kind of vampiric uh, like gang was mesmerizing in this. And like mm. more, most recently, I've just seen her in June. And, and I was like, actually, in this movie, you really see her at her best. Um, and she's quite, yeah, she wears this like top hat. It's all quite bohemian and stuff. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. It, and it, it kind of, that in itself kind of gives you the creeps. But then I thought Ewan McGregor was good as kind of the slightly tormented Danny Torrance, you know, obviously bringing back all that stuff from the past and trying to relive it. And then the recreation of, towards the end of the movie, the yeah, hotel yeah, the overlook, in the original yeah. time. Yeah, I think that is done really well. Like, obviously, mm. there's digital effects on it as well. And, yeah, I think I, I think this has been missed. I think this has missed a trick commercially. This has missed a trick. But actually, I'd say if you haven't seen it yet, it's well worth your time. It's a really, really good follow-up to The Shining. They've put it on, for my money, though, they've put it on Amazon Prime three weeks too late because this would have been an absolute killer at Halloween. This would have been a really good... Imagine yeah. having a double bill at Halloween if you could have had The Shining and then Doctor Sleep. Like, yeah. that actually should be... I, mean, I would not be shocked to find out that Prince Charles actually had that on as a double bill or something because it sounds like something they would do. <laughs> but you know what? You get to see Doctor Sleep for yourself. It was I think critics liked it when it came out generally, which is yeah. rare. You know, our peers rarely enjoy actually good movies um, as the Eternals 
has recently proven. But this but, is the classic. This is the classic. If the critics like it, the film's going to bomb, right? So. Classic. Cla- <laughs> you know, look, this this is this is Blade Runner and Dune again, basically. It's kind yeah, of comparable in yeah, that yeah. way. But one that I suspect critics will heap all of. In fact, I've, I think the embargo has dropped today at the time of recording, so we're starting to hear opinions on this. Uh, next Friday on Netflix, on Friday the 19th, the new film from Lin-Manuel Miranda and John M. Chu. It mm. is... Tick, Tick, Boom, starring uh, Andrew Garfield. And this is Andrew Garfield as a sort of fictionalised version of Lin-Manuel Miranda, having a breakdown on the cusp of 30. And, yeah, I mean, did you have well, it Andrew isn't, Garfield isn't, isn't, isn't someone isn't who it, do musicals? Well, no, but this is really interesting, because uh, you mentioned Lin-Manuel Miranda, but isn't it isn't it based on the guy who wrote Rent? And, oh, is um, it actually the guy I no, thought was Lin-Manuel story. Miranda? No, no, no. I'm pretty sure it's to do with the guy that wrote Rent. So, um, and it, it's he worked in a diner and he basically had this amazing concept for this musical and it was going to be groundbreaking as Rent is. And yeah, and basically this is that story. So brought to life via Lin-Manuel Miranda and John M. Chu, we know, also did In the Heights as well. So there's mm, there's that yeah. kind of link. But I think, I, I actually, I, I do... I, I can imagine that Andrew Garfield would do well in kind of a, a musical-led movie. I think he's he, he's a good enough actor to be able to do that. and He just hasn't had the right role for it yet. And this, from what I've seen from the trailer of this, I think it's it's. Do you know what? It's not going to set the box office on light a light, but it would it will do well on streaming. I think. And I think if you're in the mood for it and you're in the mood mm. to learn this, I don't know how true to the original story this is of the creation of that particular musical, but. It will be interesting to see how this one plays out. Well, you know, we will get to see that for ourselves next week anyway, because I think we're actually going to try and review this one. I think it has a limited theatrical this next week uh, in certain places, but he's actually coming to streaming on the 19th, which, of course, will also be the day that we return, and we will be returning with, oh, none other than the Ghostbusters, which I have seen, and I can tell you that Mm. any fan service complaints about the 2016 one have been answered. They have absolutely gone and done a Rise of Skywalker on this. But they've done a better job than Rise of Skywalker, admittedly, because I can actually stomach sitting through this. But they have made the Ghostbusters for the Stranger Things Paul Rudd crowd that you absolutely expect they would have. We'll get to find out for ourselves next week, alongside Tick, Tick, Boom, of course, and other films such as Come On, Come On, which we have familial connections to as well. And King Richard is out. We won't get to review that. But at least we'll get to have some fun next week. Yeah, we will. And I'm really looking forward to a good selection of movies. You know, it will hopefully push our graph upwards uh, as it kind of (laughs) went up and down this week. But we'll come back with much more there for your viewing and listening pleasure as well. So for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor and we shall return. Listener.